Margot, thank you for taking this time out to be on the Bitcoin source. To start things off, can you tell the audience, tell the world a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. I'm Margot. I'm I'm a PhD candidate at Georgia Tech and a fellow at the Bitcoin Policy Institute. I'm a Bitcoiner, I guess, and I do a lot of writing about Bitcoin at the intersection of climate change, energy, mining, and I also have been writing a lot about something called degrowth and how it overlaps with Bitcoin's ethos and philosophy. Great. And you know, I the, the title of this this podcast, like I was trying to come up with like a title for this, like what am I going to make for Margot because she's so interesting, she's, so, she's doing so many different <laughs> things in the space, right? And like the word I came up with was prodigy because I was prodigy. Like, yes. Like, because seriously, like, you know, there's not uh, many women in the space that you meet that like work for some of the institutions we work for and having such an impact on climate change, such as yourself. So, you know, this kind of leads into my first question, which is when you first started on your Bitcoin journey, was there any books, conferences, courses, or even people that inspired you to get, you know, gain more knowledge of your sources of Bitcoin? Yeah, people ask me that, and it, I always feel embarrassed because I honestly have nothing really to recommend. I read a lot of stuff online, mostly, you know, when it came down to thinking about more about the environmental impact, I I do have to kind of credit Max Kaiser and Stacey Herbert on that because I was not really focused on Bitcoin as a, like a core aspect of my life as I am now. And I sort of trusted them in a way because of their reporting on the financial crisis early on so many years ago. And I lost track of their show, the Kaiser Report. So uh, they were addressing that a little bit. And that forced me to, it, it made it a little bit easier for me to, to figure out what was going on and dig deeper. So they're probably the only ones I would I actually credit in, in being influential in that regard. With, uh, but beyond that, I mean, I, I've just read lots of different articles online. I never, I've never read a strictly Bitcoin book. And you just kind of have to, for me, I just pull from lots of sources. That's how I work. So if it makes sense, and, and one of the things that I do is like, if I hear something said by one group of people, like one school of thought, and then I hear a similar idea coming from another school of thought, then I tend to give that a little more weight because I think, okay, these people came at this conclusion from different perspectives. So there's probably some truth here. So uh, I've... I've sort of come this way through many paths, I guess. Yeah, most definitely. Not, not a very simple response. Yeah, no, it's, it's fine. And, you know, there's a lot of people, you know, and this is kind of why I do this show, because I want to find out people's sources of their knowledge of Bitcoin. And some people read books, some people listen to podcasts, some people listen to long form articles. So it's just good to just get a different take on how Bitcoiners are actually learning about this protocol. So, you know, there's always like a laborious process. Like they always say, like you need at least a hundred hours of study before you can truly just get, you know, the basic understanding of Bitcoin. And I love how you brought up Max Kaiser. I love how you brought up, they were kind of like your first introduction into like the climate change in conjunction with Bitcoin. And that kind of leads me to my next question, which is so many climate activists, you know, are kind of upset at the public at large for not taking climate change seriously. So what do you say to people projecting a future of turmoil instead of Bitcoin's sustainability? 
You mean like in regard to Bitcoin and, and climate change or like in general or? Yeah, like, you know, I've seen like some tweets you had on Twitter where like you have these issues where people are kind of like so upset about climate change and they have the mm -hmm. countdowns and they're telling people how hot the oceans are going to be. Yeah. But then when it comes to Bitcoin, they're kind of like, oh, that's not sustainable. That makes no sense for climate change. So like, what do you say to those people that are super activists in the climate world, but when it comes to Bitcoin, they don't understand the energy reduction and how it can be helpful to um, combat climate change? Yeah, I mean, it's hard. I, I've said many things <laughs> that don't, in general, they don't really stick. They don't really believe me. They, they think that I'm, I must have like 10 Bitcoin, like whole Bitcoins, you know, just like in my wallet and I, that I'm trying to pump. It's just like embarrassing what I really have. And, and so they don't, they, they're, they're more really, really disgusted <laughs> more than anything. But, you know, I think it's true. I mean, we, we're in a very difficult situation for, with respect to climate change and can't deny that as much as some people would like to deny that. It's true. And if we don't take serious action, we are going to see some horrible repercussions and consequences that don't just affect our climate, but affect the ecological system and affect our economic system and, and ultimately our civilization. So these are things that we really can't dismiss. And where Bitcoin plays a role, I mean, there's two different things that, that I've argued. One, obviously, there's this ability, this, and I think people really hate this for outsiders because I think they think we're abusing the, the language. But I mean, really, there is a game theoretic approach to, to Bitcoin's incentives. And, and they, they do make people do certain things that they wouldn't do because there is a monetary incentive there that didn't exist before. One of them, one obvious one, of course, is like mining with vented or flared methane gas, obviously, is like the biggest, you know, one that you can throw out there in which it's actually re can reduce methane emissions at a time where we need to do that. Doesn't and it and there's like a net equivalent CO2 emission reduction that comes from that as well. And that's that's a good thing. It's not, you know, it's not an ultimate climate solution, but given where we're at right now, where we are trying to buy ourselves some time, uh, I think it's a it's a good thing. And then there's like, you know, the incentivization of renewable energy. I think that's still very much in play and happening, beginning to happen. We've seen now a few announcements. Part of the problem, I think, is that I don't think some of these companies really want to announce that they're mining with Bitcoin either because of all of the, the FUD around that. So we have a little bit of a problem with getting these announcements to be publicized too but also a lot of them are still deals in the making like the construction is still happening there they haven't gone through with it yet like i know of a, of a couple of companies and i have i've agreed to an nda with one of them and i've actually seen the documentation you know in my own eyes and i know that this is these constructions are happening on site with renewable energy companies I just can't say it, right? So that's the hard part. But it is it is starting to happen. The energy industry is starting to understand the benefits of Bitcoin in terms of me dealing with some of the the side effects of having a variable renewable energy source that only comes online at a specific time during the day. And it really depends on the weather more than other 
power resources do. Like you can ultimately say like all energy depends on the weather, but you know, it is, it is something that is probabilistic and, you know, there's a lot going on there that it's that the, the way that you control a system that is high renewable energy base is different than the conventional way with, you know, fossil fuel generators. So there's benefits there. And then the other thing is the more societal aspect, which is more interesting, which is the more interesting to me and which is really what sort of sealed the deal in terms of me going full on Bitcoin and committing so much of my time to it, which is this realization that we have to have system change. And in the climate movement, people talk about system change all the time. And if you've ever been to a climate protest, you'll see signs that say, you know, system change, not climate change. And if you want system change, you have to start somewhere, right? And if you, if you really dig into it, you understand that it's the economic system, it's the monetary system that is causing this problem. And also in, in the climate movement, people talk about the fairy tale of economic growth, right? Of never ending economic growth, which is what neoclassical economics is completely based off of. So, you know, if you really want to get away from that, you need a tool to do that. And so I argue that Bitcoin is a vehicle for system change because it's a monetary system that's being built in parallel to the existing monetary system. And it, and I think that sort of, you know, my realization on this sort of pulls from two backgrounds. One is the fact that I participated in the Occupy movement in 2011. And also because of my research at, in, for my PhD in climate change and water resources. And, you know, like, so I have sort of this populist, you know, you know, the direct action bent of like, let's just exit the banking system, which was really a, a, a cry that was very popular during the, the Occupy movement. And, you know, then at that time, it was like, move your money out of the corporate banks, put it into your local community or credit union. And I was one of those people who did that. And, and so that's sort of like the same thesis and, you know, with Bitcoin, it's like, let's just exit the monetary system. Let's put our money someplace else. Let's create circular economies around Bitcoin and, and build on that. And then the, the other part is like this idea that you need ecologically and socially resilient societies and systems. And that's more from my, my research side. And realizing that there's always there's going to be a window of opportunity in which there's like a conservatism that that exists where people don't want change. But then, you know, through system shocks, there's there's a window of opportunity that opens. And how do you get through that window and how do you move all of your, quote unquote, capital from the existing system into a new system? You know, you need a vehicle to do that, like, you know, quote unquote, vehicle. And, and Bitcoin to me just makes a lot of sense because it's the most robust economic system that's out there. So it, that that's in parallel to the, to the fiat existing system. So it just makes a lot of sense to me. And you don't, you know, the environmental concerns, once you look into them, they're, they're not really serious. And you can understand that we're actually building something to replace a system that is way worse for the environment, way worse for society. And so it's, it's a good trade-off that will benefit us in the long term, because ultimately the societies that survive are the ones that are the most sustainable. So you know, this is the test of our existing civilization is like, how sustainable are we? So far, we have not been that sustainable. 
Yeah, and you know, I think the 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 myth about Bitcoin too is like Bitcoin is, you know, it's digital energy, right? And people don't realize that the miners, they're going to go wherever the cheapest sources of energy is, where the most renewable sources of energy is, because it just helps the system when you find the cheapest sources of energy. And I think a lot of people that have harps about climate change and these issues that you elucidated on don't really realize that or don't really understand enough about Bitcoin to understand that. So I'm glad that you broke that down and kind of gave the audience uh, a, a peer into what someone that has a high level of understanding of climate change and kind of policy and even protest, right? Like, you know, you're kind of like an OG in this space. I remember going on YouTube and seeing, you know, news interviews from 10 years ago of you talking about, you know, some of the problems in society that we're having. So you're not just someone that just showed up on the on the scene and just started talking about climate change. Like you've put in the work and you've shown your proof of work that this is something that you're very passionate about. And um, I'm just grateful that, you know, Margo, you're here to kind of bring the world your intelligence and your your, your foresight on, on, on these issues. Oh, thank you. Yeah, thanks for watching my 10-year-old my videos. I was a, a little kid then. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've always been passionate about human rights. And in fact, like, you know, now I sort of like call myself a leftist and I've been labeled a progressive and stuff. But during that time period, I didn't like being called anything other than a human rightist. Because I felt at the core, like the thing that I care about the most are human rights. So if I see some these human rights being violated, I get upset. And you know, financial rights are a human right as well. So that's one of the, the the big pluses of having something like Bitcoin is this ability to get around systems that are trying to deny your access to money in a world that in a global economy is where if you don't have money, good luck surviving. You know, so. Yeah, it's just pretty much that's my my core is like I really care about these sort of things and I'm always trying to find solutions and way to help people. So, yeah, <laughs> for sure. And, you know, I kind of want to peel back a little bit of the layer of the onion here. And when I first started this this podcast, I talked about, you know, you being a prodigy and, you know, some people, may not, you know, that word might be too grand to give someone right like that title. And, you know, the reason why I say that is that, you know, I've done a little research on your background and I realized that you worked for NASA on their jet propulsion laboratory. And, you know, that's just profound to me. That's just, you know, that's that's like, you know, I have a daughter. Right. And if my daughter had the ability to work for NASA as a parent, I'd be so excited. So it's like I'm sure your parents are proud. I'm sure the people around you are proud. And this kind of you know leads to my next question, which is, you know, you working at NASA, how has you know, that made you look at the future of human expansion into space. I still remember where I was when I got the acceptance email saying I got the the, the internship. You know, I was in my car driving so, you know, and I pulled over. I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to work. I couldn't believe it. I, I had I, I, you know, Carl Sagan was such a massive influence on my life and it was the reason why I went into science and and physics because I really initially was going to do astronomy like him. And I wanted to be a science communicator like Carl Sagan, actually, when I started. And I had these grandiose ideas about that. And I mean, it's so awesome to work there. And, and, and I completely lost what your question was because I was just like, I get so thrown off. I get really emotional about NASA and JPL and the experience because it's the greatest yeah. time of my life. I was thinking on the sense of like, I'm not sure if you're familiar with the piece that the founder from Unchained Capital created, where he talked about 
um, how people that once they colonize Mars, what would they use? Because they're going to have a time delay because if the block is being mined every 10 minutes, if you're on Mars, there's going to be a delay in that time of the blocks being um, kind of put out there on the Bitcoin blockchain. So he was saying that they would end up coming up with their own, you know, Mars blockchain for Bitcoin or mining Bitcoin on Mars. And that just made me think about you in conjunction with NASA. So I wanted to hear your thoughts on like, where do you think Bitcoin will go in the future when people start to colonize Mars? Like, will they still use the Lightning Network or will they use like their own form of a blockchain or a time chain? Yeah, I, I, so I, I'm sort of somebody who is more of a proponent of robotic exploration of space than human exploration of space because human, the human body is so extremely fragile that I don't think that it makes sense really in the long term for us to even be out there. So I, I actually am not a huge fan of, of col human colonization of other planets or moons or whatever, but you know, if they if that were something to happen and they were using Bitcoin, yeah, I mean, I don't think that they would be able to mine Bitcoin on the block for, you know, to secure the blockchain because of the time difference. It's like, I think it's eight, eight minutes mm -hmm. delay, but, you know, they can, they could still use it. Uh, they could still use it if they wanted to, I guess they could create their own. Mars Bitcoin chain, I guess. I mean, it really depends. I mean, it's such a, it's such a hypothetical uh, scenario. It's hard to know what all the the variables would be in a in a society like that, and and what would be the benefits, the pros and cons of mining or or not mining on another planet. You know, on a chain that you can only mine on on Earth. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, it'd be interesting to see how that would work. I don't know. I mean, Satoshi said something like aliens should be able to use this, right? So I don't know. I mean, who's going to be securing the network that far away? I don't know. So, yeah. But I mean, I think in general, like, I, I do think robotic exploration is really the future of space exploration. It's just, to me, it just makes a lot more sense to send robots out there. It, it's, it's, our bodies evolved on this planet to live under very specific conditions. And when you study astrobiology and you look at, at how uh, astronomers uh, study other planets, look for exoplanets and what they're looking for when they're looking for habitable zones are called the Goldilocks zone. And there is a very specific range of, of parameters in which we think life like on earth could form on these planets. And what we found from like the Kepler mission, you know, we've, we found that, yeah, there are a lot of sort of earth-like planets, but there's way more Jupiter-like planets. And then it's like, what is the distance from the star? You know, that's the other thing. Like, it's not just like, okay, we found a planet that's similar size as Earth and it's rocky like Earth, but how far away is it from its sun? And not every sun out there, not every star out there is like our star, the sun. You know, there's, and then, and then it's like, you know, what other planets are in that solar system? Because there's theories, you know, around the role of the other planets within our own solar system, like Jupiter, for example. Jupiter, it's, my understanding is like it's hypothesized that 
one of the reasons why a planet like the Earth has managed to survive is because the massive size of Jupiter, the location of it of it within our solar system means that it often sucks in all of the, you know, the dangerous stuff that could come far or cl closer in towards the sun where, where the Earth is located. So, you know, like comets and whatever, like all that stuff can like get sucked into a big thing like Jupiter. So there's there's a lot of parameters <laughs> that make make our ability to live here on Earth a little special. But, you know, it's not necessarily that special that there, there wouldn't be other life, but in on other planets. But it's just my point is like, it, we were, we live here because we have a very unique set of parameters that make life possible. So I think sending people out to, to explore is not really realistic, just based on the evolutionary nature of, of humanity and how we've evolved. I don't, I personally don't think it's a good idea. So I'm all for, you know, artificial intelligence and robotic exploration. Just beam back that information for us, send out those signals, make those communications with the aliens. You know, I'm, I'm all for that. You know, I'm a big supporter of the SETI Institute. So uh, yeah, that's sort of my take on, on, on space exploration and the future of that. You know, yeah. Elon Musk would be <laughs> upset with you for saying that, but you know, I think the possibility is there for like terraforming, right? Like creating an artificial, you know, ecosystem on a planet, you know, off, off planet where people might be able to utilize that, but that might be centuries down the road. It's not going to happen anytime soon. And, you know, I'm gonna, yeah, go ahead. Oh, yeah, I'm just get you know, and like terraforming is a cool idea, too. But we're also trying to find other life forms. Mm -hmm. If we terraform a planet, we may lose, we may destroy those other life forms, even if they're just microbial life. So you know, these are, there's a lot of ethical questions that go into terraforming as well. And, and I'm, I'm sort of, you know, I'm, I, it sounds like a cool idea. But I'm I from my perspective, it's like I want to make sure our planet is safe and, and, and sustainable and humans can live here for a long time and other species can live here for a long time uh, because, you know, these other planets, you know, there's there's risks to terraforming and there's ethical questions. And, you know, the, the sun is supposed to you know, be around for like four or five million years, I guess, still so. If we're humanity survives that many millions of years, you know, I don't know like what we'll be like by then. We we may we may merge with the with the machines, you know, by that point it'll be easy yes, easy for us to go off planet at that point, but yeah, terraforming I'm a, I I have concerns around that too. <laughs> you know, we'll we'll kind of bring the interview back down to earth now and <laughs> You know, when you talk about inflation, when you talk about the cost of energy being like at record highs now with like the temperatures in Europe and some of these other places being so hot, um, what do you think of people that say Bitcoin mining is a waste of energy? There's there's two takes on that. And somebody's been DMing me about this uh, recently and telling me like, you should just say it is a waste of energy, but it's better than not. Because which is like what Satoshi said, like, I guess Satoshi basically said, yeah, you know, it, it is wasting energy, but the net, the net benefit of wasting that energy to secure the, the network is better than not having Bitcoin, I think was his argument. But I, I don't think, I personally don't think it's a waste, it's wasting energy 
because it is securing the network and it does play a really important role in making sure that you can't do a double spend or take over the network and, and you're, you have a sense of security knowing that that the mining is doing that so the value is secured and that's really important for a, a network that is not built on trust so and anybody can mine so like if if i don't trust them i can mine. i'll just i can buy some mining computers right <laughs> theoretically and mine so i think you know i think that's not really a waste and we're starting to see the secondary effects that show okay actually you can give a really nice return and use wasted energy, like literally wasted energy or stranded energy. And energy that's curtailed because there's no off taker or no way to like off take that energy. And you can put that towards Bitcoin, you can secure the network and you get paid to do it. And so then that helps your your energy operation be sustainable economically. So like to me, that's not really a waste of energy. I think that it serves a really good purpose in that regard. There, you know, everybody has their opinions on Bitcoin energy, but I kind of really try to go to the source or people that are really entrenched into that industry. So like, for example, I had an interview with Elliot David at Sustainable Bitcoin Protocol. And it's like, this is an yeah. individual that's been studying climate change and all these things for decades. So I try to really do my homework and really talk to people such as yourself on these topics, because there's so much vacillation out there in the space. There's articles, there's FUD, there's videos. And it's like, I don't have de facto expertise in climate change. I'm just reading it from the mainstream media or articles or books. So I, I want to thank you for kind of breaking that down and giving your take on is Bitcoin mining a waste of energy? Because that's kind of like the kind of norm, you know, salacious, you know, titles they have in the media right now. And I think that that kind of stifles adoption a little bit or it kind of turns people off from Bitcoin that might actually be helpful in getting Bitcoin to be even more sustainable. So uh, thank you, Margot, for kind of breaking that down. Yeah, absolutely. No problem. I mean, it's a, it's the question that, I mean, it's the thing that a lot of people say, right, that when they want to cr criticize Bitcoin and Bitcoin's energy is it's like, well, we could just use it for something that is wasteful, wasting energy or that. And, it, and they say that because they don't see a value in Bitcoin. They think it's just speculation. It's just, you know, another thing that Wall Street is using to get rich. And it's really not, it's not really about that at all. So yeah, that's the hard part is people really, they just cling to those tropes and it's hard to get them to see something different. You know, my last question is, I'm aware that you're a fellow with the Bitcoin Policy Institute. Uh, where do you foresee renewable energy going in the next few years? Or better yet, where do you see policy around energy and Bitcoin going in the next few years, you know, being involved with that, that company? Yeah, so we're the Bitcoin Policy Institute is a nonprofit. So we do it will mainly education around Bitcoin, trying to get, provide a different narrative that's more expertise based and less influencer based, I guess. And we do write like policy papers. I've written one on the one that I wrote recently was about the legislation in New York State with the moratorium bill. And it's kind of it's a little hard to say where this is going it could go really badly <laughs> you know it there is some sense that that the white house wants to really regulate bitcoin mining and there's some pressure on that and i think what happened in new york is sort of uh some foreshadowing of what 
politicians are thinking about, you know. And there was a, a letter from Elizabeth Warren, a senator from Massachusetts, and a number of other progressive Democrats who signed off on this letter that were basically trying to outright ban Bitcoin on anything except for new <laughs> renewable energy. So like you could only use Bitcoin if you it would bring on a new solar farm, for example. And that's really extreme and it really would destroy the industry, I think, and all of the cool things and the experimentation that's going on. So we don't want that. But there's there's certainly a number of people trying to push to really limit Bitcoin energy usage and, and mining in the United States. And I'm hoping that doesn't happen because there's a lot of potential to push Bitcoin toward renewable energy sources, uh, nuclear sources, anything that's clean energy and not fossil fuels, aside from the methane stuff. And I'm hoping that we can educate the policymakers so that they don't make these mistakes because they can really, really destroy the industry. And that, and where where will they go after that? Will they go to places that are less, less stable countries, or will they end up on more fossil fuels someplace else? I mean, I really don't know. But there, that's a, that's another concern. So, I'm hoping that the policymakers are a little more educated going forward. But I. You know, I don't know. I haven't had much success reaching out to them myself, so we'll see. But uh, I, I know Bitcoin is just not, it's just not popular. <laughs> Let's just put it that way amongst a certain group of people who are in power. Yeah, and you know, the, 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 the Bitcoin Policy Institute, they have a couple heavy hitters in there. There's Gladstein, there's Ian Gaines, there's yourself. And I, you know, I'm just going to entrust and just hope that, you know, the people that work for that company, the the communities that are involved, just, you know, use it to their advantage and kind of just educate. Like you said, it's all about educating. And this is a long-term process. This isn't going to happen overnight. And I think that as you see the ebb and flow of the price, I find that when it's an all-time high, everyone's really interested in Bitcoin. They want to know everything about it. And I think those are the times when they're going to start to look at policy and they're going to start to look at the pieces that you write and climate change and energy reduction and the FUD. So, you know, I think that that question is kind of like my take on where do you see it going in 5, 10, 15 years? And you said you don't know. It could go really bad. But depending on what you do in policy now, it could really affect the future. So, you know, we're grateful to have someone like you in that corporation, in that nonprofit to really help change the world and fix the way that we look at Bitcoin and energy reduction. Yeah, thank you. I mean... You know, people like what like one of the driving concerns that pushes these policymakers to make these really bad laws or bills is this the this bad idea that Bitcoin is just going to consume all of the world's energy and it's going to push the the planet towards two degrees Celsius warming all on its own, which has been totally debunked within the publications themselves, like the actual academic publication where that claim was made. And if you just look at the hash rate right now, you'll see that there's been a little drop in the hash rate because the price of Bitcoin went down. Mm -hmm. So when people say like Bitcoin's not constrained in any way, its value is not constrained, its energy use is not constrained, it's like actually prime example. When the price of Bitcoin went down, 
the hash rate collapsed a little bit. There was pressure on the miners. So Bitcoin is constrained. And also, like, look at Texas. When the mining companies had to turn off during that heat wave, they did. The prices were really high depending on how they were operating. Either they were operating in the demand response program where they had already committed to, to come down, come offline at a certain point, or they were just being price sensitive and they shut down because the price was too high. You know, they still went offline and that means that they were energy constrained, right? So this, there are physical constraints and there are value constraints on Bitcoin. And that's, that's my, that's like part of my whole thing about the degrowth stuff. It's like, if you really want a sustainable society and you want an economic system that isn't going to outgrow your your planet's constraints in terms of the, you know what it what is sustainable what you know what are the 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 limits to the resources on your planet you know you need a monetary system that can respond that way that directly responds to the demands and the limits of of our environment and our energy use so that you know, these are these are the things that make Bitcoin really good for the environment, and I and and if policymakers and and people who didn't like Bitcoin could see that, you know, I think they would change their tune a little bit. And it's my hope that through our work at, at BPI and and hopefully, you know, we have a policy director now. Jason Brett, he's really awesome. He has a lot of experience. He was. A regulator, and I think an FDIC regulator during the financial crisis. So he has a lot of experience dealing with with policy and stuff. So I'm hoping that we can make really good use of this bear market, like you said, and and reach out to policymakers and educate them. And hopefully, while they're you know not really paying attention because the price is crashing, you know, that we can make we can change some minds. Yeah, and I think that you know BPI is in good hands and. You know, I'm not really worried as of yet. Um, I, I really entrust the people that are there, that work there. And, you know, I know about Bitcoin and I know about their impact in the Bitcoin space. So, uh, you know, I'm just going to keep my fingers crossed that things, you know, work out policy wise. Um, yeah, you know, I hope so. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, we do have some really fantastic people, fantastic fellows uh, on board. So I'm hoping, yeah. I hope it works out. I'm, I really appreciate all the trust <laughs> you put in us. So it was a lot of pressure. <laughs> um, to, to wrap this up, Margo, um, give the audience, give the world um, ways that people can get in contact with you, any projects, anything that you have going on that you want people to know about. Uh, feel free to let us know. Well, you can always find me on Twitter. I'm Jenna Urso. That's J-Y-N underscore U-R-S-O, named after the character from main character from Rogue One, Jin Urso. And, and I'm there. You, you know, my DMs are open. I have something called a Bitcoin office hours calendar that's in my link tree on my Twitter profile. So I think Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays, I have, I have office hours for anybody who wants to talk to me about Bitcoin. You're welcome to schedule yourself. And I have I have a lot of articles that I've been writing. I have a newsletter called Radical System Change, Bitcoin and Degrowth. And I've, I've been publishing that every Wednesday. I have to think of what I'm going to write <laughs> this week. But yeah, that's also like, you know, my, my articles are linked there on the Linktree uh, website as well under 
it's, I have a, I, I started with a pen name called Magus Paravalin because I didn't want people to know I was writing about Bitcoin initially. And I sort of just left it. I have, I have not really changed it to my name, but that's what it's linked under. So if you look for it, that's where all my writings, personal writings about Bitcoin are located. Perfect. Once again, Margot, thank you for having, you know, your intelligence, your grace um, on the Bitcoin <laughs> source. And I hope people find that this this podcast, this interview was very insightful and interesting. Uh, thank you. No, thank you so much for having me. And I'm so glad you're doing this podcast. It's awesome. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Uh -huh.